1: And as I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. And I have spent the greater part of the last 40 years on this planet fighting for the economic empowerment of women, persons of color, seniors, and veterans. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and wealth creation and wealth preservation and wealth transfer, and the roles that these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also practice debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say that as part of my overall practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant today as more and more of us become seniors and more and more people think that that makes us have a big target on our forehead in addition to having one on our back. So I'm coming to you again today to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, as always, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum, for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully provide you with an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets. I urge you not to try to deal with those issues on your own. So this week, I want to follow up on the admonition that I gave last week that perhaps those of you, those of us who want to see our 11 million with an M neighbors who are facing foreclosure, that is to say through eviction, stay in their home and not be kicked to the curb in the middle of a pandemic We should perhaps cast our gaze away from Washington, D.C. and towards our individual states and local governmental units and the officials who are in charge of distributing the money that they have gotten from the federal government to assist tenants and landlords during this pandemic such that the tenants can stay in the place that's their home and the landlord can afford to continue to provide housing to our neighbors, our brothers and our sisters. So to reiterate where things stand now, as you recall on August 3rd, 2021, President Biden made a decision instructing the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, to reinstate a narrower, more focused, more targeted version of the nationwide moratorium on evictions that is going to last through October 3rd, 2021. And he did so in the wake of the recent Supreme Court decision in this case called Alabama Association of Realtors at AL versus the United States Department of Health and Human Services at al that's currently pending in the united states court district court for the district of columbia case number 20-cv-3377 dlf now that case is the case where the the realtors on behalf of many landlords were suing the federal government to end the uh, moratorium because it was harming landlords. Now, that particular case is presided over by District Court Judge Dabney L. Friedrichs, who ruled that the CDC, and it's an entity of the Health and Human Services Department, lacked the constitutional and or statutory authority to implement a nationwide eviction moratorium. But She put her ruling on hold to give the executive branch the opportunity to appeal her decision to the DC Circuit. However, in response, the landlord slash realtor plaintiffs appealed the stay portion of Judge Friedrich's ruling to the CD, District of Columbia Circuits, where they lost. They lost at the DC Circuit and then they went. They appealed to the Supreme Court with the goal of having the stay that Judge Friedrich implemented, having it lifted so they could recommence um, evictions without breaking the law. However, and notwithstanding, when it got to the Supreme Court, it was turned over to the entire Supreme Court, and Judge Kavanaugh wrote a one-page decision on behalf of the court. The majority of the court. And it was dated June 29, 2021. And he stated that, be, and I quote, because the CDC plans to end that moratorium in only a few weeks, that is to say, on July 31, and because those few weeks will allow for additional and more orderly distribution of the congressionally appropriated rental assistance fund, that $47 with a B fund that I keep talking about, Judge Kavanaugh went on to say, I vote at this, Justice Kavanaugh went on to say, I vote at this time to deny the application of the landlord slash realtors to vacate Judge Friedrich's uh, stay and the uh, the appeal court's further implementation of the stay, citing a couple of Supreme Court cases that stood for the proposition that when a court is deciding whether or not to lift the stay or to let it stay in force, It depends on balancing the equities. And what that means is the pros and cons, who would be harmed the most. And generally, the court will come down on the side of the party or the group that's going to be harmed most by lifting the stay. So as things stand as of today, and I'm recording this show on August the 13th, 2021, on August 4th, the landlord, realtors, after they had lost, they went back to Judge Frederick after um, uh, the CDC implemented this new moratoria. And they stated that it was basically a pretext and basically the same moratoria. And the court had already, Judge Friedrich had already ruled that it was unconstitutional. And then shortly thereafter, the court, Judge Frederick gave the government until last Friday, which was August the 6th, to file its response. It did so, and in doing so, it asked the court to enter an administrative stay. Now, remember, there was already a stay in place that the appeals court said could stay in in place and that the Supreme Court said it wouldn't uh, hamper. So I guess the government wanted a prophylactic an additional stay put on, but be that as it may, that's getting a little bit too legalese and crazy. Um, Anyway, the uh, government said any injury to the plaintiffs that would be the landlords via their rental, the rental group caused by a temporary administrative stay is outweighed by the risk of illness and mortality if the moratorium targeting areas of high or substantial Transmission is unnecessarily lifted at this moment when new cases, you know, we have this new variant, uh, are rapidly increasing due to the highly contagious Delta variant, the CDC wrote in its filings. Well, this morning, again, I'm recording this show on Friday the 13th, oh my, this morning Judge Friedrich issued her ruling in a 12-page opinion stating, and I quote, On August 4th, the plaintiff filed an emergency motion to enforce the Supreme Court's ruling and to vacate the stay pending appeals. And the Supreme Court's ruling was that, you know, Judge Kavanaugh said, we're just going to let this thing play out. And it was going to play out on July uh, 31st. So in, in the eyes or in the minds or in the writing of the plaintiffs in this matter, the stay should have gone lifted on July 31st or uh, in the alternative, if this court, Judge Friedrich thought there was a stay in place, it needs to be lifted. They wanted it vacated. In their motions in opposition, the government argued that the DC circuits June 2nd judgment is the law of the case. And so, require that this court, Judge Frederick Court, maintain the stay. So she went on to say, and I quote Before addressing the plaintiff's motion, the court must first decide whether the current moratoria is an extension or an entirely new policy. Because the current moratoria is an extension, it is subject to the stay. And can be challenged in this action. She goes on to say, even so, the law of the case doctrine prevents this court, my court, her court, from lifting the stay, and therefore the court will deny plaintiff's motion. You know, Judge Friedrich did a really good job, even that I could understand. And since uh, she went on to explain the law, of the case and what it means and in as much she's a really smart judge let's use her own words to enhance our understanding of this pivotal doctrine that caused the her to decide that the stay has to remain in place and she couldn't lift it she goes on to say as a general matter The law of the case doctrine provides that a court involved in a later phase of the lawsuit should not reopen questions decided, already decided, by the court, that particular court, in this instance, her court, or the higher court, that would be the court of appeals. And she cites some cases under the doctrine the same issue presented a second time in the same case in the same court should lead to the same result. Additionally, when an appellate court has reached and necessarily decided an issue of fact or law, the doctrine provides that a district court in that same case has no power or authority to deviate from the appellate court's decision. So ultimately, Judge Friedrich said, because there are clearly affirmative decisions uh, by that court, and because that court reached them in this same case, the government is correct and they are binding. So as of the daily of this recording, the eviction moratorium goes through October 3rd. It stays in place, and the realtors, the landlords will either have to convince the appeals court again to reconsider and overrule its own ruling or go back to the Supreme Court. So when we come back on the other side, if there's an eviction moratorium in place and Congress has already allocated and the president has approved $47 billion with a B to flow through the tenants to the landlords to pay all of the tenants' missed rent. Why are the landlords fighting so hard to evict these tenants? I'll tell you when I see you on the other side.
2: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. Now, before we took our break, I posed the $64 million question. That is to say, if an eviction moratorium is in place and Congress and the president have already allocated and approved $47 billion with a B, to flow through the tenants to the landlords to pay for the missing rental payments. Why are the landlords fighting so hard to evict these tenants? Isn't the federal government's money good enough? Well, it's because the money is not flowing through the tenants to the landlords. And any that is, it's only a trickle. Instead, The vast majority of these funds have been caught up in the various state and or local government bureaucratic processes. Now, as I shared with you before, as reported by Will Parker in his August 4, 2021 article in the Wall Street Journal entitled, Log Jams Are Keeping Much of the $47 Billion in Federal Aids from Renters because strict rules of eligibility and and overburdened local officials are preventing these funds from going through and reaching the tenants. Now, many renters who have missed rental payments during the pandemic are unable to access billions of dollars in federal rent aid that started flowing to states and cities five with an F months ago. Local governments across the U.S. have struggled with how to distribute the money, and some have complained that their staffs are being deluged by floods of aid requests. Numerous renters are being disqualified for failing to correctly complete the applications, according to the article. Now, about 11 million tenants are considered at risk of eviction due to financial hardships, according to government officials. Officials. Now, while the United States Treasury Department oversees the rental aid, local governmental officials share the responsibility for distributing the money. They have some leeway in deciding how to distribute it and what tenants must do to qualify. So, Treasury last month recommended a series of changes to expedite payments and to break the logjam. Those Suggested changes included loosening the documentation required by the renters, as well as allowing the aid to be paid directly to the renters, as opposed to the way the program was initially set up to go directly to the landlords. Um, But research from the National Low Income Housing Coalition, a Washington tenant-based advocacy organization, shows that many, many of our governments are slow to act. So I took it upon myself to look at the rental assistance program of two states that I have some connection with. I looked at what's going on in Alaska, and I also looked at what's going on here in California, where this show originates, to see if I could find the Where's Waldo-like log jams. And lo and behold, it didn't take me long to find them. So let's go in alphabetical order. What's up, Alaska? The agency that is the rental assistance program originator in Alaska is entitled Alaska Housing Finance Corporation. And its program entitled Alaska Housing Relief can be found at the website alaskahousingrelief.org, just like it sounds. At that page, it provides an eviction guidance and rental relief status. And as of this morning, when I'm recording this show, August 13, 2021, that website page says a new moratorium on rental eviction has been announced by the CDC through October 3rd, 2021. Access important information for renters here and for landlords here, including guidance on eviction and your legal rights and available resources. Then it instructed me to click here for the current program status and statistics on Alaskans assisted with their rent and utilities. So I went there and have this beautiful animated, uh, uh graph that shows you a bunch of statistics and for example seventeen thousand five hundred and twelve applications have been accepted with payments made nine zero 90 million dollars nine actually ninety million eight hundred and forty four thousand five hundred and eighty seven dollars and ninety six cents have already been paid to landlords and utilities companies as of August the 6th, and they've helped 45,199 Alaskans have been served through the program. Well, that sounds great. I went and looked at a bunch of more statistics that were very impressive. However, when I went back to the webpage, I found the following message. The application period for Alaska Housing Rent Relief Program closed to new applicants on March 5th, 2021. If you applied for rent relief, you can find out where your application stands by pressing here. So that's the problem. The Alaska Housing Rental Relief Program has stopped accepting applications. Five, that is five with an F, months ago. So where are Alaskans who need rental relief, what are they supposed to do if they didn't apply before March 5th, 2021? Well, there's a wait list where they can go and add their email address to get further information. Oh, my. Well, we'll continue our review next week by taking a peek at what California is doing because it has received, of the $47 billion with a B, it has received 5 billion, $5.2 billion with a B. And it has promised to get all of that money out the door. So I am just um, enamored of seeing what Alaska is doing. And I did go to... Uh, California and uh, it has a very impressive website and I scrolled down uh, to my county because it's broken out by counties and I went over to visit Alameda County and it has some uh, impressive statistics although not very impressive when you look when you get down to the bottom of it but the problem I saw right off the bat with the uh, program here in California, or at least in Alameda County, because I haven't looked at all of the counties. Was there was no way for you to upload your information unless you had access to a computer. Now, comparing it with Alaska, it was through a computer as well. But I just happened to know that because of the way Alaska is distributing the help for the program, they're reaching many of the uh, tribal headquarters, as well as several nonprofits, and they've hired people uh, to assist people, and they actually have a telephone number (laughs) and an address. What I didn't find thus far in California, in Alameda County, was a telephone number for the many people here in our state that don't have access to a computer. So we'll dig a little bit deeper, like I said, into what's going on here in California next week, but we're gonna leave it there for now. But always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always wanna stay on the right side of the law, including laws dealing with our ability for us to stay in our homes during this pandemic when we might not have the ability to pay our rent. So, but in the meantime, urge you, please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated until we have herd immunity. and We're a long way off from that. Keep your social distance when you're out and about. Mask up and please wash your hands. Till next time, take care.
2: Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the Bankruptcy Code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar and your rights are protected by our law. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.